Well, folks, the Eagles did it. They did it. They did it. <laughs> Underdogs no more, right? The underdog roared. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Um, if you listen to the speakers that day, one of the speakers uh, after the parade at the, on the steps of the art museum, he got up and he said, is this what heaven is like? And I thought, no, Howie, this is just a little, little tiny taste of the joy and the celebration when we will see Jesus face to face. But I thank him for that little taste, every taste we get of joy and celebration. So, And I do promise uh, next week I will return to wearing my normal clothes, okay? I, I, I promise. Let's pray. Jesus, what a wonderful name it is, powerful name. Yours is the name above all names. And Lord, we know the day is coming. It's happening all around the world that knees are bowing, tongues are confessing that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord of all. But there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord, we don't really understand how we got to be part of that celebration. It wasn't anything we did. It was everything you did. That you came for us, and you sought for us, and you died for us, and you found us and brought us home. And we thank you for your grace that is so amazing to reach even us, in our sin, in our broken condition. And you are the Savior. You are the healer. So come, Lord Jesus, um, speak to us. Holy Spirit, let these words of Scripture come alive for us. We really want to see Jesus. We want to hear from you, O God, today. Because we need you in the center of our lives. We pray this for your glory that your name will be above every name as we go through our day, our week, this month. Be glorified, Lord Jesus. Meet us here. We believe you're here as you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the second of a ten-sermon series on the life and work of Jesus Christ. And we're doing this series this winter and spring because... Frankly, we don't want to get lost in all the issues, the challenges, the changes that are ahead of us as a church uh, in this year of transition. We want to stay focused on Jesus, the name above all names. Uh, We want to keep our eyes fixed on who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing right now so that we can live in him as the gospel invites us to do. And when we focus on Jesus, you know what happens. We're tilling the soil of our spiritual lives so that the beautiful flowers of faith, hope, and love can grow as we move together into the future that God has for us. So we started this series last week by looking at the name of Jesus. What's in a name, we ask? Emphasizing the very ordinary nature of that simple, common name, Jesus, as he came to walk this earth. And the humility that he had, humblest servant of all, to leave heaven and stoop so low, 
to come find us, walk with us, save us, and, and bring us home through the darkness. And the main point last time was that Jesus really knows what it means to be you. He really knows what it means to be you. He has walked where you walk. And there is nowhere you can go, and there is nothing you can go through that Jesus has not gone there before you. And the main application last week was that as a follower of Jesus, you get the privilege of stooping to love and serve others the way he did for you. And that no matter how low you go, you can never outstoop Jesus. It's absolutely impossible. Because however low you go, underneath you will always be the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Mark that presents Jesus at the start of his ministry. It presents him in a way that the evangelical church in America often does not. It's kind of outside the experience of many of us, which is why I chose to include it in in this series. The title of the message today is simply The Rabbi. The Rabbi. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 verses 21 through 28. Let's read our text for today. This is the word of God. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his authority because he taught them as one who... They were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Mark's gospel moves at breakneck speed. Matthew and Luke, well, they take the time to introduce us to Jesus by describing his unique birth. John's gospel starts by going all the way back to the beginning of creation. But Mark, Mark just dives into Jesus' ministry. He spends eight verses on John the Baptist, three on the baptism of Jesus, two on his temptation, and then he's underway with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. It appears that Mark wants his readers, he wants you and me, to encounter Jesus the same way the people of Galilee did without the benefit of knowing about his miraculous birth or his status as the word of God, the word made flesh for us. In other words, Mark wants us to discover who Jesus is just by watching his life and his work, seeing him in action. The first glimpse Mark gives us of Jesus is as a rabbi, a rabbi. In verses 16 to 20 of Mark chapter 1, this rabbi gathers his students who immediately drop their fishing nets and leave their boats to follow him. Then with these new disciples in tow, 
Rabbi Jesus heads to a synagogue in Capernaum to do what rabbis do, namely teach. Rabbis at this time were not thought of as clergy, but simply as teachers who had students. So when the people of Galilee refer to Jesus as a rabbi, they're not thinking of him as, you know, Reverend Jesus or Pastor Jesus. Initially, he was just thought of as a teacher of the law of God and the prophets who had some students following him. Now, anyone could be asked to stand up and teach the scriptures in the synagogues in those days. And certainly, if a visiting rabbi were there, he would be extended that honor. So that is how the people of Capernaum encountered this new rabbi's teaching for the first time immediately it became apparent that this was no ordinary rabbi or teacher. We're told in verse 22 that those who heard Jesus were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, that is an ironic statement since those teachers were professional instructors in the law of God who were supposed to be the authority. But their words had become uh, predictable, routine, without heart or soul, and lacking in power. The practice of the scribes was to teach not only the Torah, the first five books of Moses, but, but also from a vast oral tradition of teachings that had developed about the Torah, around the Torah, called the Mishnah. Now, most of the Mishnah was filled with detailed instructions of do's and don'ts that sunk to a level of tedium that our Presbyterian Book of Church order could only dream of achieving. When a scribe would teach in the synagogues, he would stand up and he would claim the authority of an older, long-dead rabbi, saying something like this, Rabbi Meir claims that in order to be clean, you have to use at least a half cup of water when washing your hands. Can you imagine getting that every Sunday when you came to church? Shoot me now. By contrast, Jesus would simply read and then restate the words of Moses and the prophets describing what was at the heart of these scriptures of God. As he did, for example, in Matthew 12, where he said, what all the law and the prophets teach is that you must love the Lord your God with all that you are and your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's no wonder that people were astounded by the teaching of this new rabbi Jesus. They had never heard anything like it before. But if that were all Jesus had done, if he had only spoken in profound ways about the heart of God's law, uh, that would be wonderful, but he would never have gotten into so much trouble, and we never would have gotten any help. Because here's what happened. As Jesus continued teaching in that synagogue in Capernaum on that first day of his ministry, a man with an unclean, impure spirit interrupted him. Just write out loud. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Some of the more scholarly commentaries of Mark's gospel wonder how a man with an unclean spirit got into the synagogue. Clearly, those scholars don't go to church. Wait for it. We all have something unclean in us, don't we? Things we have done, things we have left undone, people we have hurt, people we have failed, opportunities and blessings we have squandered. We have not loved God or our neighbor as we ought. And no amount of water will wash that kind of guilt away. So it's not surprising that this man who was tormented by an unclean spirit, he was the first person in the room to get it, to identify Rabbi Jesus for who he really was, the Holy One of God. See, this man, he knew unclean. He knew it intimately. He knew it internally. And he could not pretend that he was not unclean. He recognized holy when he saw it. And he asked Jesus if he had come to destroy us, because he knew that's what we deserve. But instead of bringing judgment, Jesus told the demon to be silent and to be gone. Verse 25, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. This is not meek and mild Jesus, by the way. (laughs) Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Hey, (laughs) when Jesus speaks, things happen. All hell breaks loose. Jesus is about to rock Satan's world. You know the song, right? He will, he will rock you. Jesus wrote that song. Two very different kingdoms are on a collision course here. And here's the first indication we get, that Jesus will be overthrowing the evil empire of Satan. He will be breaking the devil's demonic power over the sons and daughters of men, who are made in the image of a holy God, but are now so shattered and defiled and hopeless, hell-bound, sin-broken people are going to be set free, including me including you. Nothing can stand before Jesus. He came to destroy, all right. Yes, he did. But he came to destroy the destroyer. Be gone, he says, and be quick about it. Do you see? Here is your hope. Here is your hope. Is that not what all of us are hoping to find? Someone who can silence our demonic guilt and the shame of our uncleanness, and can make it go away. Someone who knows and sees and understands the most unclean things about us, and yet does not destroy us. Someone who has authority over the most impure things about us, and uses that authority with compassion to set us free, to make us clean. Be honest. When are you most aware of your impurity? When you are, when you're most aware of your uncleanness, your guilt, your shame, the chains of addiction that bind you, 
isn't that when you can most clearly see and understand what true holiness is? Just by way of stark contrast, you know your own uncleanness all too well. And suddenly you can see holy. You can grasp holy. Isn't that when you can best see and understand the holiness of God? I know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God. And isn't that also the moment, in that moment, when you are most prone in your first flash to believe that this holy God is against you? He's going to consume you. That he's come to destroy you because of your impure ways. But do you see, the gospel speaks over all of that to tell you that Jesus has come to you with compassion, with mercy, with forgiveness, and with authority to break the chains to deliver you alive into freedom. Here is the one. Here is the one who has the authority, who has the power to break the chains that bind you in your uncleanness. Whether they be chains of fear, or chains of anger, or chains of lust, or chains of greed, or chains of guilt and shame, or chains of substance abuse, whether the substance abused is alcohol, or opioids, or food. Yes, this is what we are all hoping to find. Someone who has both the authority and the mercy to silence our demonic guilt and the shame of our uncleanness and make it go away for good. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. I know why you have come here. Not to destroy me as I deserve, but to deliver and heal and cleanse me as I desperately need. Amen? This is precisely what Jesus came to do, and to do for you. To do for you. This is his ministry from day one, the ministry of God's authority and compassion. This will mark every word he speaks and every miracle he performs for the next three years of his public ministry. Do you see, people were in the darkness, so he enlightened them with his teaching. People were broken and sick, so he healed them. People were hopeless, so he encouraged them. People were in bondage to satanic control, so he liberated them. People were lost in sin, so he forgave them. He served fallen, sinful, broken humanity with a passion that could only flow from a heart full of God's own love. And ultimately, that love led him to make the greatest sacrifice a suffering servant could ever make to give his own holy life. He had no sin of his own. His own holy life. He gave that for the unholy ones he served. Me and you. Do you see? His ministry of authority and mercy carried through all the way to the cross where he would bear our guilt and our shame and make us clean all the way to the grave that would not be able to hold down his resurrection life and power. Come out, calls the voice of God. Come out. And even the grave must yield to that kind of power and authority. Praise God. Jesus has come to do this for you. Not just for someone else. He has come to do this for you. Right where you are unclean, 
and impure. He is the Holy One who makes the unclean holy. No one can do that but God. Nobody else can make you holy. You can't make yourself holy. You can't make me holy. Only God can make people holy. And this is Jesus. This is the work of Jesus the rabbi who stands before you with authority and mercy. And this, by the way, is the Holy One of God who will be leading you through this season of transition this year in our church. He has not come to destroy us or to let any transition or change destroy us. He has come to be with us, to lead us as his followers, his students, his disciples, touching our lives with his compassion and directing our footsteps with his authority. We're going to be just fine. We are going to be just fine because of Jesus, the Holy One of God, who is with us, who is for us all the way. And by the time we're done with this season of transition, I believe we all will be truly amazed. Maybe for the first time or once again, we will be truly amazed at Jesus' authority and Jesus' kindness, just as people were on day one of his ministry. Verse 27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Well, the congregation in that synagogue almost had the right question. Almost. The real question is not, what is this? The real question is, who is this? Who is this? Jesus is not a what. Jesus is a who. You know, for centuries, you have to put yourself back in that day. For centuries, the people had been given volumes and volumes and volumes of what. All, the, all kinds of religious whatnot told them what they had to do, what they had to stop doing, But none of that could silence the guilt, the self-doubt, the shame, the fear, or the addictions that kept them from God. So God himself, the Holy One, came for them and came for us. He came to silence and expel whatever keeps us from him. And he came as an ordinary country rabbi named Jesus. That is very significant. According to Mark, the gospel begins with a very ordinary religious event. It was just another Sabbath in an ordinary synagogue where people were following the rituals they had kept for centuries. Nothing new. Same old, same old, ho-hum. But one day, (laughs) they got blown out of their sandals. I mean, they were astounded and amazed by holiness specifically by the one and only truly holy one, this rabbi named Jesus. They were all amazed. From the moment Jesus started teaching to the moment he stopped. We see that in verse 22 at the beginning. It says the people were amazed. And we see it again in verse 27 at the end. The people were all so amazed. You know, that is the function of worship. 
That is the function of our worship as well. How many times have you taken your place in one of these pews and stood and sang the songs and sat and listened to the scriptures read and preached and bowed your head in prayer? These elements of worship serve as our familiar rabbis, if you will. But they do not just present religion, which is a what. They seek to reveal the who that is in our midst, the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. If you have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to engage and receive, you would be astounded and amazed by worship every Sunday. And I think something is wrong if we're not. 25 years ago, I was on a Philadelphia Boys Choir tour with two of my sons, Jeff and Jeremy. And we were doing concerts in England, Scotland, and Wales. We had the opportunity to visit Edinburgh, which is pretty much Jerusalem for diehard Presbyterians. And while we were wandering around the city on one of our days off, I I did two exciting things. First, I bought a pair of Doc Martens. Second, I came across St. Gilles Cathedral, where John Knox preached and led the Scottish Reformation. As soon as I entered those doors, I heard the beautiful voices of a visiting choir that was providing a sacred concert. Quietly, I made my way to a pew, At first I sat there just enjoying this fantastic concert. Then after completing some of the great works of choral music, the choir concluded by singing Amazing Grace. Now, like you, I have heard and sung that song more times than I can count. Sometimes I think it's a bit overdone in our culture with the bagpipes and the kilts and all. But for some reason, this time, The tears just welled up in my eyes as that familiar old hymn revealed the who that makes grace so amazing. I cannot tell you why that happened. I have no idea. I wasn't feeling tortured by guilt or shame. I wasn't feeling fatigued or exhausted. I was having fun traveling. But the Holy Spirit chose that moment to silence all the other voices within me and around me to reveal the Holy One of God, Rabbi Jesus, who is the amazing grace of God in our lives. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. I didn't want that choir ever to stop. The same ministry of the Holy Spirit happens all the time in our worship service. You know, it occurs as we sing together, when our gospel choir sings, or in the other elements of worship, when you receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It can also happen in your home as you take the time to read the Bible and pray. The eyes of your heart can open up, and now you see not a what, but a holy person, the who, that changes absolutely everything. To be clear, I'm not talking about being inspired or even being moved. I'm, I'm kind of describing the aha moments that are available to everyone, to all of us. Those moments when you realize that it is all about the Holy One who is with you, who is for you. 
That's what all the law and the prophets, the gospels and the epistles are proclaiming. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Hear him. Jesus the rabbi is so much more than a teacher. He didn't just give us information about God. What did he give us? He gave us God. When he gave us himself, he gave us God. As the late historian of Christianity, Yaroslav Pelikan, once said, there are no cathedrals built in honor of Socrates. And I would add, neither are there any hymns sung about the amazing grace of Cicero. They were just teachers. But to this one, to this one who has divine authority to bring heaven and earth back together, uh, the one who with authority and compassion can expel the demons that tear our lives and our world apart, all the uncleanness around us, all the impurity, to the one who has created a future that is filled with hope, to this holy one, we have sung and we have worshipped for 2,000 years. If you pay attention, you will be astounded by his amazing grace all over again. Jesus did not come to give you the same old, same old information about God. Got it. Check. Next. He has no interest in giving you a list of things to do and not do. But he's dying to give you God. He's dying to give you God. Will you receive him? Will you receive him? If you can see that, you will be amazed, and you will know what to do in the light of his authority and his mercy. I know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God, and I know that you have come not to destroy me. Thank you, Jesus. Not to destroy me, but to cleanse me, to forgive me, to set me free. Is that the cry of your heart? Amen? Amen. Let's spend a little time in prayer. It's always so good.